Welcome to Odeon Capital Conversations on all things money and markets with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstyne. And here is your host, John Aiden Byrne. On this episode, we look at all the signs of the decline in prices across many sectors of our economy, from housing to autos, as the pace of price growth in the basket of goods that make up the consumer price index keeps dropping. We'll have analysis from Dick Beauvais on why the US money supply is steadily shrinking and the real issue now facing America is the risks of recession touted by analysts for months. The US Fed wants banks to increase their long-term debt and equity. Dick Beauvais will explain what's happening and also the controversy at stake. The fallout from the collapse of the FTX crypto platform which had reported liabilities of $8 billion, continues with the wider overall loss of wealth estimated at over $1 trillion. We look at that. On the overseas front, we'll turn our attention to China and the potential setbacks for its global ambitions as an economic powerhouse that would rival the US. We'll also look at another hotspot, Iran. I'm with Dick Beauvais, Chief Financial Strategist at Odeon Capital Group, and Matt Van Alstein, Odeon Co-Founder and Managing Partner. We'll be right back after this message. Current and future holdings are subject to risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Securities identified do not represent all of the securities purchased, sold, or recommended to clients. The views and opinions expressed by the Odeon Capital Group speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Odeon Capital Group disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Odeon Capital Group product. Neither Odeon Capital Group nor the speakers can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered. Dick and Matt, welcome for episode 44. And we kind of have a shorter week on Wall Street this week. We're all off for Thanksgiving. It's turkey time. And speaking of turkeys um, and inflation, um, the price of a turkey, the average price of a turkey is now 15% higher this year compared with last year, maybe 20%. So while inflation keeps dropping and the Fed is on top of it, and you've repeatedly said that, Dick, there are certain categories and sectors which are really brutal. Yeah, but I mean, John, I, I took a look at the uh, consumer price index and I learned item by item. And, you know, turkeys are not, you know, on top uppermost list in the CPI. If you look at the CPI, food prices in many categories are going down. I mean, beef is going down. Milk is not rising at the same pace. Chicken and eggs are not rising at the same pace. Housing is down. Used car prices are collapsing. So, you know, the CPI is not, you know, showing that uh, the, the prices are still rising at, at a, an increasing rate. It's showing exactly the opposite. But again, if you, if you go to the base causes of inflation, which in my view are excess money supply, you, you're not getting any indications that money supply is accelerating. You know, the, the federal deficit is in fact 
down. It's 25% on a seasonally adjusted basis uh, of what it was, you know, uh, two years ago uh, in that one quarter when it hit four and a quarter. This, this collapse in the crypto market is destroying money. In other words, money gets destroyed when the value of a security goes down because you don't have, if the stock was selling at 100 or if crypto was selling at uh, 20,000 and it's now selling it at 16 or 15,000, then, you know, the differential of 5,000 is money, which is no longer in the system. So, you know, you don't have uh, a debt problem, which is causing money inflation. You don't have a money problem, which is causing inflation. Housing prices are down. I'm repeating, housing prices are down. Used car prices are down. The growth in the rate of uh, most of the items in the CPI is is less. Apparel prices are down. You know, the cost of, uh, you know, uh, t telecommunications c commitment is down. You know, I, I don't, just because turkey prices are up just doesn't mean anything. Well, I'm sort of using that as one of the outliers, but you are right on housing, uh, the consistent drops, and that's reflective, I suppose, of the rise in interest rates, affordability. Um, but prices overall in the housing market have still risen, but the pace of growth in housing prices is, is definitely down. Well, I would think you're going to see that the absolute price of housing is down. In other words, the, um, if you, if you, when the, uh, case shilling numbers come out, the probability is high that you're not going to just see a, a decrease in the increase, but you're going to see a decrease in the absolute. Now, I don't know that that's a true because case shilling numbers are two months lagging, you know, the events in the marketplace. But, uh, you know, essentially, I, I cannot find any other than turkeys, I I cannot find anything, uh, you know, that would indicate that prices are rising at a faster pace. Well, I might add stuffing and all the trimmings, they've gone up in price too. <laughs> bread prices, bread, cereal prices are weakening. They're not growing up at the same price. The, the, the CPI looks at everything. And yeah. they look at bread prices and they look at cereal prices and they look at, you know, all these various items none of which are growing at a faster pace than they were growing, we'll say, three months ago, six months ago, or a year ago. So, you know, I, I don't feel I don't feel that there's a, an inflation issue, which is problematic. I, I would yeah. like to point out that the CPI is a, you know, a lag, not only a lagging indicator, but by and large, it's a year-over-year -year indicator. And most of us, at least in my household, we only buy turkeys once a year. And so we notice that part. Um, and it's still noticeable because last time we bought a turkey was $45. This year, it's almost $70, um, at least at my local store. But that I agree with Dick because what we're really measuring is the month-to-month -month coming out of the summer where inflation really seemed to be accelerating. It seems like it's more decelerating now, and you feel it on a month-to-month -month basis, even though it's not showing up yet in the year-to-year -year numbers. Dick, you, you spoke about the money, the money supply is shrinking, and you referenced there Sam Bankman-Fried's um, FTX crypto exchange that money we don't know where it's gone but that's that's only a small ripple in the overall pool it's not the reason why money is shrinking it's obviously the fed has been uh, tightening and uh, shrinking its balance sheet you know we're talking about two different money supplies right you've got m2 which is the money supply which is calculated by the federal reserve m2 is composed of two elements one how much currency is out there Two, 
how much deposits are there in the banking system, and then there's something for retail money market funds. The, the, therefore, the calculated money supply actually is dropping in absolute terms. It's dropping in absolute terms. Now, we'll get the new, you know, because the Fed only is now willing to put the money out once a month in the second, I think the last Tuesday of the month. So we'll get the last, you know, their, their last reading, you know, uh, next week. But the, the calculated money supply number is down. All right. Then you have the non-calculated money supply. The non-calculated money supply are things like the cryptocurrency market, like the institutional money market funds, like euro dollars. That's no longer calculated. So how do you know what's going on in that sector? Well, you don't have specific figures, but you do know that if crypto is going from 20,000 to 16,000, that you have decreased the available, you've decreased the absolute amount of money in the crypto market. And it's not insignificant. It's a couple of trillion dollars. There's a bank called Provident Bank, which is now on the verge of bankruptcy because of lending to that market. There's another bank called um, uh, Silver, Silvergate Bank, which dropped from $210 a share to $25 a share. That drop. That drop of of uh, whatever whatever it is close to two uh, hundred ninety dollars a share. That's money that is gone. So not only do you have the the recorded money supply decreasing, but you have all indicators that the non-recorded money supply is decreasing also. So you're getting hit on both sides in terms of availability of funds, and that inflects inflation, and that's why inflation every for, for three months now, the, the rate of inflation has gone down. But, you know, I mean, you can read these GWIS articles about, you know, used cars. You can take a look at, you know, what's going on with when mortgage rates go up, housing prices go down. Housing prices do not go up when mortgage rates go up. They go down and they are going down. I, I don't see I, I don't see the, the dollar weakened a bit, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, and that's inflationary. But again, I, I'm hoping that we spend a little time talking about uh, international influences on the U.S. economy today. They're all negative. You know, they're, they're, none of them. Uh, I, I don't see anything coming out of that area which suggests that prices are going to rise either. I, I don't think the issue any longer is inflation. The issue is recession. Are we going to have one? If we have one, is it going to be big or small? And what the market is telling you is that the investor today believes that we don't have to worry about what the Fed is doing anymore, that the inflation is, uh, I'm sorry, that the inflation is not an issue, but the, the economy could be, could, could be weakening a little bit, but not enough to matter. That's what the market is telling us. That's why it's up close to 300 points right now, uh, today. So, so basically, um, I don't, I don't see anything happening here, which is surprising or, or unexpected. Just a couple of things on that, Dick. So the collapse of FTX had a multiplier effect. That's an interesting observation that it's much wider than a lot of people can imagine. It's in a terms multi-billion of dollar impact, a multi-billion hmm. dollar impact there's a company called genesis that is all over the uh you know 
the tape today about how they're going to have to, you know, declare bankruptcy. I gave you the name of two yeah. banks, which are declines. There's, there's a decline in, you know, people own these things. People own these things. They're losing money from their investment in these things. That money is gone. It is not going to come back. I mean, did, if you take a look at the, um, what they call the available sale, available for sale, uh, you know, category in the bank balance sheet, it's it's falling apart. Comerica, which is you know this large business bank headquartered in Dallas and used to be Detroit, but the point is their net worth is down thirty three percent in the last two years because they have had to mark to market KeyCorp. Their net worth is down. They have to mark to market their 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 available for sale securities. And where they don't mark them to market, they're still declining in price. Just because the banks don't want to show it, it doesn't mean to say they're not declining in price. So again, everything I look at suggests to me that money is being chewed up, gone, eliminated, and when that happens, you do not get inflation. You worry about recession. And that's where all my focus is at the present time. Are we going to get one? How big is it going to be? And, and you know, I said in the past, it's going to be a moderate. How long is it going to last? What industries are going to come out of it that are going to be healthy? What industries are going to come out of it that are not going to be healthy? I think that's where the focus and the concentration has been. The, the rear view mirror is not going to help you at all. You got to look forward and see what's going on there. And I think this international issue is a big one. I don't think China will ever, ever be as big as the U.S. economy. I don't care what these people say about it. It just is not going to happen. And therefore, that's a major change in the, in the thinking about the way things are going in the overall markets. Just before we look at China, a great point. Um, last week we, we spoke about, or I noted to you how you said at one stage at the peak of inflation, the money supply in the US was growing 10 times faster than the physical output in the US. Where would you put that now? To negative one, negative mm. one. The money supply is shrinking. Okay. Shrinking means that there's less money today than there was a month ago. It's a negative number for money supply growth, negative. If that's negative and the economy is growing, then you've gone from 10 times to negative. I'm listening to what Dick's saying, and I, I, I'm hearing him saying the money supply is collapsing, and I think I'm agreeing with him. I think if I were to guess what he means by that, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, is that the question is, do we, you know, you're trying to catch a falling knife before you go into a deep recession, because at some point, the money supply can't go to zero. So it's up to the policymakers to make sure that they have, you know, their 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 finger on the pulse of the economy to make sure they're not overdoing it. Because if inflation is, it sure seems like listening to some of the Fed governors talking about what their view, it sure seems some of them think they're getting close to causing harm to the economy that they don't mean to, and and they want to start putting, you know, putting putting their foot on the gas and taking it off the brake a bit. But that's just my inference, you know, reading the tea leaves because listening to Powell, it sure seems like he's full steam ahead. Let's let's crash this economy. Hey, but Lael Brainerd, you know, she's she's backed off. You know, even guys as tough as Bullard doesn't seem to be don't and although he's speaking today and we'll find out what he thinks again at the moment, he seems to be back backing off. Uh, this guy Waller, he is definitely backed off. You know, and and Daly in, in San Francisco, she's backed off. 
So, so the net effect is the Fed is seeing, I think, and they see it much better, obviously, than I do, but they're seeing what I'm seeing. They're seeing that the, that the, we've shifted. The shift is no longer worrying about prices going up. The shift is worrying about, are we going to have a recession? And is it going to be a deep one, which, you know, politically we can't accept? Uh, and, and, and the Federal Reserve can't accept it either. Because if they put us into a deep recession after the world thinks they put us into a, a, a super inflation, you know, th their, their credibility is going to be 100% gone. So I think they're very nervous about what they're doing at the moment. They're going to stick with getting this thing to 5% is my guess. And they're going to keep it at 5%, you know, for a couple of years. But, you know, they, they can't, they can't set off a, a deep recession uh, at, at this point after people think they screwed up and created the inflation. And by the way, I don't think they, they were the cause of the inflation. I think the federal debt was the cause of it. But anyway, the point is the Fed is really nervous, really nervous about what they should do. And the market is telling you clearly that they the market believes the Fed is going to ease off. They're going to back down because they can't risk a huge recession. Do you think they're going to change their path on, on QT as well? Uh, they didn't show it, uh, you know, last week. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I don't know if we'll see the numbers, uh, Thanksgiving evening because they come out on a Thursday night. But, um, yeah, I do think, I think they're going to ease. I think that they're worried. I think that I think, I think they've already eased up. I mean, remember when, when we did this podcast in May and April, we were talking about in June, they're going to start selling their mortgages. They were very clear how many mortgages they're going to sell. And they really, I mean, they've tipped, they've, they've crossed the line. They've sold some, but it's not the monthly liquidation that they were talking about. And it, I'm, I'm guessing that they're going to start slowing down on the treasuries as well. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, they've just backed off totally on the mortgages for the last couple of weeks. They haven't sold any, none, you know, and they haven't bought any, but they haven't sold any. You know, on the treasuries, they've been hitting the treasuries relatively hard, but you know they, they can do so because of this situation that, that that I mentioned a second ago in the banking industry. The banks are marking to market their securities. That is reducing their net worth. The Fed is freaking out about it. So the Fed, you know, is telling the banks to increase their equity. So the banks are now selling large amounts of debt. They're selling large amounts of preferred securities. And in that fashion, they're getting their, they're getting what is called the common tier one equity up. So, so the net effect is when they get it up and they're not lending the money that they're pulling in, they put it in the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve got over a hundred billion dollars in deposits last week from the banks because the banks have been in the market raising if you listen to Bloomberg, 600 billion over the last, I don't know what period, and they need another 90 billion. And again, those are Bloomberg's numbers, not mine. But the point is that excess money is going in the Fed and the Fed is using that excess money to buy back treasuries. So, so the net effect is, you know, um, we, we don't have, we don't have a valid look at what they're doing right now, but I'm, I'm a hundred percent in your camp, Matt, in believing that, you know, they can't be too tough anymore because the economy is showing. I mean, you know, you're getting too many layoffs that are occurring. You got too many businesses are going down. You got too many, you know, as, as I say, banks that are looking at a shrinking net worth. I mean, you, you can't, you can't keep QT at, at a high level if that's happening. So, 
I, I agree fully with what you're saying. Since they started raising rates, um, they've raised rates 400 basis points um, in the past several months or more. Um, the interesting comment from Paul Krugman um, in a New York Times op-ed, he thinks interest rates probably won't stay high thanks to a shrinking workforce and the tech industry's midlife crisis. What this suggests to him is that the era of cheap money is not, in fact, over. We know he has a political and economic point of view, but it was interesting. No, I think a lot of what he says is exactly correct. But we haven't seen, you know, the shrinkage in the labor force yet. Uh, and, and therefore, when the shrinkage in the labor force begins, that's when the, the, the pressure on the Fed reaches, you know, white hot. I mean, that's when you really have to look. So, but I, I think there will be a shrinkage in the labor force. I think that we are going through a midlife crisis in, in the consumer tech industry. I don't think the other part of the tech industry is in the middle of a crisis at all. It continues to advance. It continues to show significant improvement. But, you know, if, if, if you get unemployment rising back to 5%, and by the way, you know, in the, in the 1970s, 5% was full employment, okay? If you get it going back to 5%, you know, the Fed might ease up a little bit on interest rates, but I, I don't see that happening. You know, I, I, I disagree with him on that point, but I think the other two points you mentioned that he said, I think are exactly correct. On terms of a recession, you've said it could be a mild recession earlier. I mean, you've moderated your opinion quite a bit, right. but where are you at on that exactly? Yeah, well, again, I mean, it's really hard to say. I'm I'm going to stick with the moderate recession, all right, because, you know, we do have, you know, this massive amount of money still in the system. That's, it, it's not going to go away, right? Uh, it just isn't growing anymore. So, so the net effect is that would, I think, ameliorate the, the, the pressure of having a, a sizable recession. But, you know, uh, I, I don't know why it hasn't started already. I would have bet that we would have been in it right now. Uh, and maybe in hindsight, people will say that we're in it right now. But the, the, the only reason, there's only one reason that we're not saying that we're in a recession right now, and that's because labor has not declined labor is still growing. When we start to see the labor numbers decline, then everybody will say we're in a recession. Then we'll, you know, have to see what the Fed is going to do. But um, I still think that we're going to shift our production into the United States. Um, and, and I know you want to talk about China, and it's, but I just got an email this morning from one of my clients who had dinner last night with the CFO of a major a pharmaceutical company, right? And what the CFO told him is that they're getting out of China because China's bureaucracy has gone crazy. But worse than that, the level of corruption is so high that the the employees are blackmailing, you know, his company. And they're not going to take the blackmail. They're not going to pay the, the, the amounts of money that these employees want. They're just going to get out. And, and I think, you know, that, that would suggest that, uh, you know, stuff is coming. Southeast Asia is not going to be the manufacturing hub of the world in the next 10 years the way they were in the last 10 years. And that's going to benefit the United States significantly. And I think that's why, you know, the, the recession could be moderate. 
I mean, this is quite a turn for China, which uh, if you look at it statistically, their industrial growth in 1983 was 10%, then it rose to 15%, 1985, 22%, and then the, these massive dizzying heights in growth. Um, but that was achieved, according to many people, by a lot of um, smoke and mirrors and stuff which was basically unethical, reverse-engineered foreign products, copied competitors, rivals. Um, but, you know, there's a famous thing that we should also remember that uh, I think it was back in 2015, China introduced this maxim that it was the world was going to recognize it as being this superpower by 2025 and it launched its made in china campaign so you're saying that that's not going to happen china's not going to dominate exactly. i mean I, I never look in the rearview mirror right i don't do analysis looking in the rearview mirror i do analysis looking at the events that would suggest what's going to happen looking forward right i don't care what their growth rate was you know in the 1980s 90s or early thousands right because the whole system has changed Ma, this guy, uh, Xi Jinping, right? He, he has been writing up a storm as to what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. So what is he saying? All right. The first thing he's saying is that he wants Marxism back in China. What, now, what does that mean? He, he does not want any Chinese company to grow as large as, uh, you know, Tencent has grown. Uh, he does not want that to happen. Now, whether he's saying that because he's a true Marxist and he really wants to, uh, you know, equalize the flow of funds through the economy, or is he saying it because he doesn't want a power base inside of China as big as the Communist Party, and therefore he's going to knock it down. But either it doesn't really matter why he's saying it. He is saying it, and he is doing it. He is doing everything possible to stop the growth of mega companies in the country. All right. Secondly, he 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 is believes strongly in Lenin, and Lenin, you know, believed in you don't let people make decisions; you make decisions for people, and you tell them what to do. All right. So he's bringing. If again, these are the things that he keeps writing. These are the things he keeps, if you will, talking about to the people around him. He wants a Marxist-Leninist economy in China. Well, we can't function. You know, in the United States with a Marxist-Leninist economy, we can't, you know, rely on China to make our goods. If basically, you know, they could shut down the whole nation over COVID, if they could, you know, basically, uh, you know, bribe, you know, the people who work in in the country who are Americans, if they are going to continue to steal what we what we uh, develop in, in in terms of our innovation, all that that foreign fund flow into China, which was the basis of the increase in the growth rate of China's economy is going to stop. That's going to stop, number one. And the second thing that's going to stop is innovation in China. Because if the Communist Party is going to tell everybody what they can do in, in the business sector and what they cannot do, number one. And number two, if they're going to say to someone, hey, your company is now too big. You can't make your company be this big. You've got to take the the uh, excess profits of your company and you've got to spread them over, you know, the whole economy, right? Now, again, I'm not saying he's doing that because he believes in the quality of distribution of funds or whether he, believe, he believes in 
nobody's going to get big as the as the Communist Party. But what what he's doing is he's moving China back to a socialist state. He's moving it back to an, an autocracy, a socialist state, and that doesn't work, you know, in terms of growth of economies. And that's why I don't believe that China will ever be as big as the U.S. economy. I don't care if they have five times as many people as we do. They're not going to equal us because we have innovation freedom, we have bottom-up decision-making in, in the business sector, and they want to be all top-down. <laughs> That's my speech. But uh, they, they, they're not going to catch us. I feel like I'm catching you kind of drift towards my view on, on China never catching us. Maybe, maybe I was wrong that you didn't ever share it, but you know, I'll, take, I'll take the win if I can fake it. Um, you got in it. Terms, <laughs> in, in terms of what, what China is becoming, I sure as heck agree with you. And I, I think in hindsight, it's hard to tell if COVID was opportunistic for them to, to start this transition. You know, the social scoring, the the way you can't, you know, get on the subway, you can't board a plane if, if your social score isn't, isn't high enough and your social score requires you to be a conformist with regards to the politics within China. Your social score requires you to, um, you know, not be someone who protests, who doesn't step out of line, who doesn't jaywalk. Like there's a lot of things that they've kind of put down onto their people that kind of came out of the convenient narrative of COVID saying, we're protecting you and we have to lock you in your cities and lock you in your apartments. And COVID zero has really transitioned what China, you know, when, when Bill Clinton and, and George Bush were passionately arguing and advocating, they joined the WTO. They thought that by making China wealthy, that they would bring China along and, and kind of become part of, the free Western or free-ish Western society where where people got rich, they got to travel, they got to see the way the rest of the world was, and they would slowly become a more open society. And what's happened since COVID is they're slowly going back to a closed society. You know, going back to 2010, to, from 2010 to 2020, I took four trips to China, two for vacation, two for business. And I'm, I'm starting to think that I might never ever go back to China ever again, not because I wouldn't want to as much as I probably wouldn't, but because they might not be an open society because they don't want their populations to find out that the rest of the world kind of got through COVID in two years without the COVID zero draconian oppression that the, their people suffered under and that that would cause social unrest. And so I think there's a whole new strategy now that Xi has been empowered, um, you know, for another five years at least. And I think he's taking advantage of it to, to do exactly what Dick said. I think he's slowly becoming more like North Korea and less like um, South Korea, to, to use two local neighboring examples, because he can't, he's, I think he's making the strategic decision. He can't let his people have the freedom because his power would be limited or at least taken away. And, you know, when, when you get your country rich, the idea being that the, the wealth will, will let them tolerate certain social oppression but as their economy is starting to falter the social oppression is no longer tolerable and the only way you can overcome it is either get them wealthy again or wealthier or start cracking down in in a in a more militaristic way and i think they're choosing the latter i i feel sometimes the covid 19 zero tolerance is a ruse for the chinese totalitarian state to keep law and order you mentioned the rearview mirror uh, approach Dick. you're right but you know the chinese leadership has built up a lot of expectations among consumers and ordinary residents they're used to buying and selling and having cars and luxury goods that they didn't have 
So you look in the rear view mirror that way and you look what may be ahead for them. They could be facing a major social chaos. They could be. I mean, um, once I had lunch with, uh, you know, the CEO of a city group, uh, you know, alone, and he was saying that uh, it's not recorded, but uh, there is 65,000 small riots of three to four or five people that occur in China every year. And that uh, the, the, the tremendous amount of upset, you know, throughout the country is huge. Um, but, you know, I never heard anybody say that after I had lunch with this guy, you know, and that luncheon was about 20 years ago. So the net effect is, Maybe there is the simmering cauldron uh, sitting below Xi Jinping uh, or not. I don't know. But I, I do know one thing. I do not believe in socialism. I do not believe in government-run businesses. I do not believe in government-run societies. And that's what China is. And therefore, if what I believe is correct, there's no way in hell these guys are ever going to come close to us. But you got to go beyond China, too, because you look at Malaysia, right? Malaysia was this country which is, you know, full of, uh, you know, energy and, and, and growth. And, and they, they, the corruption at the top of that government is, is, is beyond belief. And, and the acceptance of the people in that government for that corruption is even crazier because this uh, crisis, you know, this, uh, what is it, Joe whatever it was, where the Malaysian government, you know, they stole something like $6 billion from the Malaysian government. And the party that did it looks like they're a walk-in to win the election again this year. So how how solid is Malaysia? Uh, if, you, if you take a look at, uh, you know, Thailand, that, that, that country is, is always in economic growth, but, but political turmoil. You don't have countries like the United States outside of Europe uh, and, and Australia is like we are. But the point is, our system works. This system, in my view, does not work. And, and so we'll see. But, but I'm betting heavily on our system. And retail sales are forecast to grow just 1% this year in China as spending falls. Uh, not a good sign. Yeah, if you even believe the 1%. I mean, I don't believe anything they say. I, I, you know, I don't care what they say. I don't believe any of it. You referenced Malaysia. Uh, they were in bed with some Wall Street bank or financier. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, so that was just a sign of how things work over there on some levels. Yeah, no, it, it was it was a huge scandal. I, I wish I could remember the name of it because... Uh, it it's 3MDB? It. Yeah, yes, it, that's exactly what it was. You know, and, and the, uh, the premier of Malaysia at the time just kept stealing and stealing and stealing all the money that was being raised by Goldman Sachs for the country of Malaysia. Uh, and essentially, you know, there's a guy at Goldman Sachs in jail because of it. You know, Goldman, I think it's one of the reasons that Blank Fine is not the CEO of Goldman Sachs anymore. But the point is, you would think, you know, with that level of corruption, that they would walk away from the party that created that corruption but they're not. They'd rather have that party continue to run the country as opposed to putting in a party that may be more, you know, uh, difficult to operate because apparently everybody fights in that country the way they fight here. And you can't get any, uh, you know, clear view of where to go. Uh, and maybe that's why they, they want to go back to the autocracy. But they're going back there. And, and that's not, I can't believe they're going to be able to outcompete us you know, when that's the way they run their government.
You're listening to Odeon Capital Conversations with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstein of Odeon Capital Group. Dick is Chief Financial Strategist at Odeon and Matt is Odeon Co-Founder and Managing Partner. And I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Questions and comments, email podcast at odeoncap.com. That's podcast at odeoncap.com. And meanwhile, the news is filled with stories, news stories every day about the collapse of FTX, the crypto exchange. I suspect this will continue on for months because there's an insatiable appetite among investors and consumers for what the heck happened over in the Bahamas with this strange character, Sam Bankman-Fried. How significant is it still, Dick, in your well, I think it's, it's extraordinarily significant because, again, you know, he is—he wasn't operating alone. You know, he was operating with a number of uh, these firms, and and you know, Genesis obviously being one of them, uh, and these two banks, Provident and maybe Silvergate, as part of it. Also, I don't, I don't, I don't know uh, for a fact that that's true, uh, but they certainly, you know, are getting impacted as if it were. Uh, and there's apparently all of these different exchanges were creating these cryptocurrencies. And then they were building up the value of that cryptocurrency by buying them from each other. That's one of the things that's going to come out. And and they were using the, the, the customer's money, which, by the way, every bank uses the customer's money to invest. But they were using the customer's money in every case to buy the other guy's cryptocurrency. So he would use his customer's money to buy your cryptocurrency. So you create a valuation within that sector, which was absurd, which, which is, which is now coming apart. And, and again, if it was, you know, a few billion dollars and maybe 10, 15, 25 billion dollars, you might say, well, there's no impact. But when it's over a trillion dollars, a trillion dollar has, has had, it's got to have some meaning somewhere, and, and it's over a trillion dollars. So I, I think you're going to see a lot more coming out. I don't know if Genesis is going to declare bankruptcy today or not, but um, this, this, this cross-fertilization to create unrealistic values, which was you know inherent in that business, is now going to be shaken out of that business. And when it's shaken out of that business, a lot of people are going to walk away having lost their life savings, yep. having lost, you know, their, their investments. Horrible. That will affect the economy. They had liabilities of eight billion, but you're saying that the wider losses extend at the ripple effects one trillion worldwide. Yes. I mean, I don't know if he moved to the Bahamas on purpose because he knew he was on the verge, but he only moved to the Bahamas <laughs> a year ago. Before that, he was in Hong Kong. And I think this would be a completely different story if FTX were still Hong Kong based because the Chinese regulators in my mind or, or the Hong Kong regulators, if they're, if they're separate and distinct are much more sophisticated and probably much more aggressive about protecting their reputation. The Bahamians, Bahamians are, and, and I think you're seeing that play out because apparently he's still sitting on the beach in his $40 million apartment, living, living a pretty nice life for having, you know, perpetrated this this uh what seems like a long con um you know maybe, maybe it's not isn't maybe he's innocent i don't want to you know but everyone's innocent until proven guilty but it sure smells like there's something really rotten down there 
The second point is when you talk about the contagion, Dick is exactly right. These these entities, and FTX was a big one, they issued these tokens, I think in their instance it's Serum and and uh, FTT, that you know they sell a portion of them, maybe 20 30%, but then they keep the rest on their balance sheet and count it as assets while having a small amount of float, which is only sold to their peers to create the impression of a, of a hefty balance sheet. And they do that in a, a cross manner, you know, between call it six or eight different entities. And, you know, the contagion can, could go a long ways. And, and when you talk about banks like Silvergate that seem to be in a lot of trouble, it's not because they necessarily lent to FTX or had even a direct relationship with FTX. It's because they lent to people who invested through FTX, whose then money is now gone. And this is not like the Madoff scandal where you can go back and, and trace the U.S. dollars and, and get back to the core and maybe get some of that money back. This money is to, is gone onto crypto blockchain where in some, if most instances, it's almost impossible to trace. So you're probably looking at pennies on the dollar in recovery. And, you know, then then you look at the ones that are heavily regulated, or at least you know they they've volunteered to be heavily regulated, like Grayscale and Coinbase. And so far, Grayscale and Coinbase are publicly saying we are not like them, and we are clean. But Grayscale, which I believe is a closed-end mutual fund, is is trading at forty-five cents of its supposed Bitcoin value. Um, you know, that's a huge discount for a company that's regulated and audited that says we're money good. Um, Genesis, which is part of the Gemini project, which is part of the Winklevoss's companies, um, you know, they they are also saying that they're pretty well capitalized. But if they have to file for bankruptcy, that could trigger uh, a down the line default. And Coinbase, which is the one, you know, Dick Dick says he's invested in crypto. I am too, but I, I've done it through Coinbase. Coinbase, their stock is at all time lows, and they're out there saying, "Look, we're regulated, we're audited, we're we're completely above board. We don't use our client money." And, you know, the problem with saying that is that's exactly what FTX was saying two weeks ago. So no one trusts anyone right now. And, it, and it's really a, a game of liar's poker, or at least everyone thinks it is. And until the, all the cards drop, you really won't know who's left standing. I think what Dick was referring to with the trillion dollars was the market cap. If you add up all the coins, you're going to find out which ones are real or fake. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I, I think the... Uh, the difference between Bitcoin and the rest of them is the founders are still alive. And the difference between a religion and a cult is in a religion, the founder is dead. And in the cult, the founder is still alive. <laughs> um, and I think that's the I think that's the point of Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin is the only real coin out there, only cryptocurrency out there that trades a, with a sizable market cap that doesn't have a living person in control of it. Yeah, we, we spoke earlier uh, about Madoff before we started recording. And... Um... I think the record showed that investors who got duped by the Madoff empire got 70 cents, 80 cents on the dollar, something in that region, probably on the principle. But I mean, I guess the point is that investors may not get much back from Sam. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think they've lost most of their money and, and because I don't think there was any real money behind what they invested in in the first place. I don't know. I, I'd like, I'd, I'd like to make, mention one other country in, in this, uh, you know, uh, foreign impact on the United States, and that's Iran. Um, because uh, y yesterday, uh, there was almost an unimaginable thing that happened. But the Iranian soccer team, you know, at the World Cup, refused to uh, sing the, the Iranian national anthem. Uh, and, and, you know, what I'm reading is that there are constant uh, up 
uprisings in Iran, uh, and and that you've got the, the female population of the country, which is really upset, and it's very hard for these people to go home and get their wives and their daughters killed, you know, which is what what is happening. So it it, it is possible. Uh, I mean, the, the guy who runs the country uh, has terminal cancer. He's uh, in his early 80s, uh, and, and it would appear that, you know, what he's trying to do is maneuver his son uh, to take over from him uh, as as the top, you know supreme leader of the country, but th- the indications are that Iran could collapse. Now, if Iran collapses, I would imagine that the United States will lift you know a lot of the sanctions which are on that country. The most important one is in the sale of oil, and that oil you know could now start coming from Iran in huge amounts, which they would need to sell because their economy is in so much difficulty. So I think there is a possibility that this, if you will, political upset in Iran is real. I mean, these guys on that soccer team, they're, they're asking to be killed and, and not killed in an easy fashion because they torture them, beat them, and then they kill them. You know, that's how strong the the reaction against the government is at the present time. So, so the net effect is if that government goes, oil prices are definitely going to come down. And that's definitely going to be positive for the U.S. economy. So I, I think, you know, keeping your eye on some of these oddball countries is important because the changes that are occurring in those countries can be very positive for the United States economy. That was quite significant yesterday at the World Cup. I did see that inflation at 425% this past summer in Iran and um, half the population, according to reports, live in absolute poverty. And when Rouhani became president, the US dollar rate was 30,000 rials, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Now it's 300,000 rials. So the economy is in total collapse. I mean, this is a, a theocracy, Dick, right? In Iran, right. America yeah. doesn't have, America has a beautiful experiment that despite all its flaws and the, we've had riots and, you know, a lot of grief, it works. Right. Yeah, no, it is a theocracy. And and the problem is that in a theocracy, you're not supposed to pick the, uh, the, the, uh, the divine leader's, uh, you know, son you know, to be the, the next leader, which, by the way, Muslim countries did, you know, at the time of Muhammad all the time. But the point is that um, that's not the way even a theocracy should operate. It's a pure dictatorship run by this guy, and he's using religion as his method of controlling the population. But it's it's now out of hand. It, and it's so out of hand that, you know, there is a real possibility that that government can collapse. And if it collapses, there's a real possibility that oil prices will come down sharply because the oil production will will be ramped up meaningfully to pay for all of these people who are living in total poverty in that country. So I don't know. I think keeping we've got to keep our eyes on Iran just the way we keep our eyes on China and we think about Malaysia and you know in, in Russia. I have no idea. I have no idea what these people are thinking there, but they're so Iran could be a good positive indicator if events if unfold goes. and yeah. The, yeah. that leadership collapses. I mean, it's just amazing to see middle-class educated people on the streets of Iran who weren't wouldn't have done that years ago. So again, social chaos on the streets. Yes, and, and, and again, it's being led by women. It's not being led by young students. It's not being led by men. It's being led by women. 
the wives and daughters of all the people who run the country. And I don't know, I don't know if if a, a nation can survive. Uh, back in Rome, the, the, is Lysistrata the name of the play? You know, Matt would know. I I just don't remember exact names. But this is <laughs> that one I would not know. <laughs> All right. Well, it, it's a play about the women rising up to stop you know wars in in Rome back in ancient times. Well, that's what happened. That's what's happening in Iran right now. All right, in Iran right now. Uh, you know, you have the women rising up saying that we cannot accept this method of of life and. You know, uh, it, it, it's going to be very positive for us. Does this tell us that Western sanctions, U.S. sanctions, the weaponizing of the U.S. dollar is working? Because we spoke about this in prior episodes, and we, we spoke about the negative downside of weaponizing the U.S. dollar, but now it seems to be working. Well, it is working. Uh, but the point is, what, what my argument is, if you keep doing it, and you keep, you know, we've got, I don't know, 30, 40 uh, people in countries that are, that are now sanctioned by the United States, uh, and, and you know, again, they weaponized the dollar there. I mean, on the news last night was this, was this yacht that came into Los Angeles, which is worth six hundred million dollars, which the uh, oligarch in, in in Russia is never going to step foot on again. And there was another one uh, in a different country, which uh, is up for sale in that country and the country is going to take the profit from the sale and again uh, so so weaponizing the dollar does work but if you keep doing it and you don't stop doing it it won't work uh, because you're going to force all of the people who have been put on the other side to come up with their own currency uh, but but that's 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 a different argument at the moment it, it is work it, it is working in iran and it's working in russia uh, and and who knows what it's doing in North Korea. I think you have a note out about just um, underlining uh, what we've been saying on this podcast for quite a, a long time, the bifurcation of the global economy and what that means for production and resources and bringing production um, back to um, domestic economies. And you uh, noted in the past 30 days, the markets are responding to this reality um, with the Dow Jones is outpacing the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Sort of the point you're making is that uh, tech old school, if you will, um, in decline right now. And then sort of the bread and butter uh, manufacturing um, items, they're the ones in the ascendant for now. Yeah, no, let's, you know, we, we obviously you know, have, have been beaten this particular view to death, you know, from day one of these podcasts, we, we kept saying, you know, you know, energy, you know, natural resources, manufacturing, defense. Um, and now the market has embraced it. Uh, the S&P 500 is uh, a view of the total mark of the total market, but S&P also has individual indexes for each industry. And the last time I looked, which was last Saturday when I wrote this thing, uh, was that uh, the manufacturing index was outpacing all of the other indexes. And the natural resource index was, you know, I think in third position in terms of uh, outpacing uh, all of the other indexes. In the consumer area, which is where I have argued we're going to see a dropping back they're 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 at the low end of the growth in the market in this period that uh, S and P was looking at. So it's happening. You know the, the the market sees it, the market understands it, and the market is shifting funds in the direction 
of the, the, the areas we're talking about. And when, when the market does that, that money filters out to the companies because, you know, a company that, that is operating in Ohio that needs money to build a plant can go to the market and say, you know, we need money, we're going to build a plant, and they'll get the money. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, if a, a company in Ohio or 20 years ago or 30 years ago went to the market and said, we want to build a new plant, the market wouldn't give them the money because it didn't believe that that, that, that plant could be successful. The market now sees that it could be successful. The United States government, we have an opportunity with the Republicans taking control of the House for legislation to occur to give benefits to the create, you know, incentives to, for the creation of, of uh, you know, natural resource exploration, of manufacturing uh, for more defense dollars. Uh, but, you know, if, if these guys are going to waste their time going after Hunter Biden, which, I mean, he may be the most guilty person in the world, but it's not going to affect my life if they if they they spend the next year arguing about Hunter Biden. It will affect my life if they they create a depreciation schedule that will allow people to build plants, you know, we'll, you know, to go back to the very first thing we mentioned uh, today, if if this pharmaceutical country company wants out of China because they can't live with the bureaucracy, they can't live with the the, the corruption and the and the, the bribery, then you know, give them incentives to come back to the United States. Don't send them to Vietnam or Thailand or, you know, some other, you know, country in Southeast Asia. Get them back to the United States because this guy didn't say he was, he said he'd get out of China. He didn't say he was coming back to the United States. All right. To get back to the United States, we need to give them incentives from the government. We need to, to spend our technology dollar, not on the fact that we got new flip phones, right? You turn on the television, all you can see is flip phones. You know, that could be a, who knows, multi-hundred billion dollar, you know, gambit to have new flip phones. What that does for the economy is beyond my comprehension. I don't get it. If they put the money into manufacturing, they put the money into natural resources, it does a lot for this country. So hopefully, hopefully this this Congress will get its act together and, and stop fighting with each other and do that. Matt, I hope you're not using a flip phone. <laughs> using, using My wife it, got right? rid of her flip phone a couple of years ago. Not sure what generation of phone she's using, but they're, they're really expensive. I was too young when those were out. <laughs> I never had one. Very good answer. Um, great, uh, stimulating conversation. And everyone have a nice Thanksgiving and we'll gather again next week. Celebrate more conversation. Take care. Current and future holdings are subject to risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only and is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Securities identified do not represent all of the securities purchased, sold, or recommended to clients. The views and opinions expressed by the Odeon Capital Group speaker are their own as of the date of the recording. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and Odeon Capital Group disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Odeon Capital Group product. 
Neither Odeon Capital Group nor the speakers can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.